Hey, everybody. Absolutely stunning news over here this week. We have a video version of this week's episode available on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash late night. Go over there, sign up at any tier, and you'll have access to it. Once again, that's patreon.com slash late night. Now, enjoy the show. Meg, talk to me about this mechanical keyboard situation over here. So I have two PCs. I have one in front of me, my gaming PC. This is my streaming PC. Nice. And this is the keyboard for it. It's a SteelSeries keyboard. I love these. They type like a dream. What uh, switches are on that bad boy? I have no idea, but I will find out for you and I will text it to you later. Because <laughs> actually, as much as I've been like, oh my gosh, this types like a dream, I've been really into banana splits switches recently, and I think I'm going to do a custom mm-hmm. keyboard with banana splits. As in the old live-action banana splits, or does that mean something <laughs> I don't know what that means? I have no idea. I literally saw a TikTok where it was comparing different switch sounds, and banana split was the one that I was like, oh, delicious. It sounds so good. They're really pretty, too. Yeah, like an 80s clicky-clacky keyboard. Oh, oh, very into it. There's very little chance that either of you would remember this. There was a very unsettling live action show with a bunch of people in large like character costumes. The banana splits? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I'm secretly old. You might not know that about me, but I'm actually (laughs) secretly old. They have that theme song that sounds exactly like a Bob Marley song or something. The da 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 da. Yeah, it's like almost like the monkeys sort of thing. Yes, totally. Yeah, they made a horror movie out of the Banana Splits recently. Oh, right. They did. It's really cool. Is it good? I haven't seen the actual movie, but I saw like a great breakdown of it. I heard it was like better than you think. Yes, I watched the Red Letter Media (laughs) review. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) We all consume the same content. (laughs) Yeah. Is it, it's like a Five Nights at Freddy's kind of style idea or what? I think the premise is that they're making a show, like a TV show, and then it all goes wrong. Is that right, Leighton? I think so, yeah. Whenever I watch Red Letter Media, it's always literally like on the TV while I'm gaming and I'm half paying attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's excellent content. I feel like that's the only content I consume now is stuff that only requires like two brain cells to actually be activated (laughs) as I watch it. (laughs) Meg, I'm very excited about that Qbert machine back there, yeah. Oh, thank you. Gav got this for me for my birthday a few years ago. This is actually a redo of the original cabinet, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I've been really into retro gaming forever. And these are arcade one-up cabinets that are like, you build them yourself, almost like Ikea type arcade cabinets. That's cool. But I think I'm going to eventually replace them with the actual arcade cabs. Mm -hmm. And you built those? Yeah. The Street Fighter one came to me built because it was a prototype. And then the other one I built myself. Wow. Now, were you in particular a Qbert fan? Yes. Qbert is my favorite like retro game of all time. Isn't it the best? I adore Qbert. It doesn't come out as all the symbols. It's actual cursing. But um, yeah, <laughs> I love that. That game is so good. Yeah. The scalability of difficulty with old arcade games, it's just like a rocket ship. It's like, <laughs> oh, I can get this. And then suddenly you're dead. It's yeah, and in Qbert, you play the first whatever four kind of levels, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's okay, I get it. Yeah. And then once you have to start jumping on things multiple times, you're just like, oh, God. And then <laughs> after that, the next one is it undoes the yes. color if you go back onto it. So you're like, ah! 
Yeah. I always like the instruction on the intro screen that just says, avoid all objects that are not green. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so simple. And it says it on the arm plate down here, has like rules over here. Oh, that's the best. And it's like anything that's not green, do not touch. Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever played Cubert's Cubes, the sequel? No. Yeah, it was another like very unpopular cabinet game, but a... (laughs) A Kubert sequel that I think I played it at, do you know, uh, GameStop in New Hampshire? Hey, everybody. Brian here. Deeply, deeply embarrassing moment for me. I said GameStop, but I meant Fun Spot. I know what GameStop is. It's just just like a pie. I'm talking. It's having a good time. So I'm talking about Fun Spot in New Hampshire, not GameStop, the chain of stores. Where they do the the video game. Yeah, they have all the retro gaming stuff. Yeah, it's where the King of Kong yes. was and all that. Yeah, so they have Cubert's Cubes there, or did. I mean, I was there like, I don't know, 10 years ago, so it's been a while. Is Cubes with a Q? I believe it is, actually. If it's not, then that's fucked up. I 100% agree with you. It's not a good game, but it is one of those weird, like, Donkey Kong 3-style games where you're like, this is odd. Why did they make this? The first one was too good. The one of those that I really love is Popeye. Popeye has an arcade cab. Mm, yeah. And three levels that just keep repeating over and over again. They get progressively harder. A co-host of mine, Steve Zaragoza, back in the day, bought an arcade cab to make it a Fix-It Felix machine. Oh, wow. From Wreck-It Ralph. Well, that's fun. Yeah, it was really fun. And the actual game he bought was Popeye. And then he ripped it all out and made it like an actual main machine. But we played that Popeye machine for so long. It's so hard. That game is like impossible. Oh, it's so fun, though. What's the core gameplay loop on that? Your Popeye olive oil throws out hearts that you have to collect. And you have to avoid Bruto, who's trying to like pummel you to death. Yeah. It's very Donkey Kong-esque. Notoriously a quarter eater. Back in the arcade in the day because you just couldn't do it. Yeah, I remember playing Popeye in the arcades in the 80s and just being like, what the fuck? You die like in 30 seconds. Just have no idea what's going on. So basically, olive oil is like throwing hearts. It's so weird. You can get spinach occasionally. Yeah. It's a whole thing. Yeah. What a weird choice for that game. Did you guys ever see the Robert Altman Popeye movie? No. It's So it stars Robin Williams as Popeye. Right. And Shelley Duvall as Olive Oil. And probably a bunch of other people, too. You know what? Actually, really, really good casting on Olive Oil, though. Oh, yeah. And it's Robert Altman. What a weird choice to direct the Popeye movie. Apparently, they built it. I think it's in Malta, maybe? I can't remember where. And you can still go see the set. It's like a whole sea town. It's bizarre just to watch Robin Williams do this. You know, Popeye impression. (laughs) It's really something to see. I'm looking at images. This feels like haunted, lost media. It's insanity. (laughs) Like, you can only watch this on an old, degraded VHS tape, and you will then be cursed. Wow. (laughs) I probably watched it, like, I don't know, five to ten times as a kid, and was deeply upset by it every time. But kept watching it. (laughs) You know, what else? It's the 80s. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I can't imagine it holds up, except as anything other than a weird curiosity. Yeah, I actually was watching Hook last night and was reading uh, trivia about it. And the Popeye movie was somewhere in that trivia. So it's so weird how that synchronicity comes up. What's your take on Hook? Like, how did you feel about it? I, till the day I die, will defend this. I love this movie. I think it holds up. This was going to be like my media to recommend was go back and watch Hook because I actually have friends who are like, it's not a good movie. Wrong. You're just so wrong. It's a great film. 
I also rewatched it recently. I, again, I remember seeing it when it came out. Because again, it's like Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, you know, all these cool people. Like, of course, I'm going to go see it. Yeah. Loved it at the time and watched it recently. And a lot of it is pretty fucking great. Yeah. I have heard a lot of people say, oh, I liked it when I was a kid and I rewatched it and actually it's a bad movie. I love that movie. There's so many cool practical effects. There's some amazing like hidden cameos. Everyone knows the Glenn Close one. But the other (laughs) one that I just learned about is Carrie Fisher and George Lucas are both in it. Are they really? Yes, they are the couple when Tinkerbell is taking them to Neverland that the Uh fairy dust sprinkles on and they like float up. That's, you would never know, but apparently that's (laughs) Carrie Fisher and George Lucas. Oh, I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah, Carrie Fisher actually worked on the film. She redid a bunch of Tinkerbell's dialogue. Really? And like doctored the script. Yeah. Fuck yeah. She rules. Just what an amazing person. She was amazing. Yeah. To me, you know, there's a lot of great stuff in there. That movie is 100% to me about Dustin Hoffman. Oh, absolutely. He's incredible. Dustin Hoffman and Bob Hoskins are just amazing together. Yeah. I've never seen like the early like Bob Hoskins gangster movies. The Long Good Friday? That's the one we're just about to watch. Is it good? (laughs) I literally am about to watch it. Me too. Oh my gosh. I just got it on Blu-ray. It took like two months to get on Blu-ray. And I'm so excited to watch it. It showed up on the Criterion like app as like one of the first recommendations. And I was like, I've never seen like a real old school, you know, tough, you know, Cockney Bob Hoskins movie. Yes. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. What a weird coincidence. Yeah. Right before the pandemic, Gavin and I saw a trailer for it in the Alamo Draft House. They were going to do like a screening of it. And we were like, uh-huh. we have got to see this film. Yeah. And then obviously the pandemic happened. So we just bought it to be like, we're going to watch it ourselves. We're not going to wait for it. That's awesome. I don't know when it's from, but I assume like late 60s, early 70s. It's very old. I'll actually Google it. Like the preview for it was like the yeah, long Yeah, you good probably Friday. saw the same one I did where it's that old school trailer where someone's talking about it. Yeah, you know, like, like very featuring double crosses and all the <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. Yes, 1980. Oh, it's that late. Yeah, 1980. Oh, I thought it was like 60s. Wow. Okay, great. It looks like it from the trailer. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. What a fun coincidence. Yeah, I'm very excited. I love Bob Hoskins. I do too. We named our first cat after him. Did you really? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, our first cat is named Bob Hoskins is Smee, and then we call him Smee. (laughs) That's so fucking cute. One of my formative movie-going experiences was Roger Rabbit. Yes, there's a huge film auction going on right now of, like, film memorabilia. Oh, what? And on Tuesday, they auctioned off his pistol from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, like a screen-matched Eddie Valiant pistol. It was very cool. Oh, wow. That is so great. A couple of months ago, they were auctioning off, like, a ton of the props from Annihilation. Like, you could buy the bear. Really? <laughs> yeah. You, you could get the bear? Buy, you could get the fucked up bear. Is that the Natalie Portman movie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't see it. It's pretty good. My Bob Hoskins tidbit is yesterday I spent a considerable portion of the day going through the Wikipedia page for a list of all film and TV accidents. I love stuff like that. It's the best. I have a lot of tales, but one of them, there was just like a bullet for Super Mario Brothers 1993. Bob Hoskins was stabbed four times, electrocuted, and was nearly drowned. <laughs> Really? Jesus. I'll have to ask my dad because he, as we've discussed, worked on that movie. That's crazy. Very comical to me. Just the slug of Super Mario Brothers and then here's how he almost died. Well, and also it feels like someone was like, oh yeah, the guy was in Roger Rabbit. That's Mario. Yeah, sure. Yeah, why not? Yeah. (laughs) Some other stuff that was surprising to me from that list, there are a lot of like really crazy, gnarly ones. One of them was Sam Fuller, you know, like big director, a matter of life and death. 
blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. He made this like drug running movie with Burt Reynolds. There was a scene where somebody was diving and supposed to be bitten by a shark, but they didn't sedate the shark enough. They used a real shark? That's exactly what I was about to say. (laughs) And so the shark ate the stuntman and they got it on video. Like killed the stuntman. Yes. So the studio was like, well, this is the whole movie now. And so they put it on like all the posters, all the marketing. They changed the name of the movie to Shark. And like all of the slug lines were like, it'll tear you apart. And Samuel Fuller obviously was so disgusted that he was like, I want nothing to do with this. Take my name off of this shit. Oh my God. And they wouldn't do it. Was this like 80s, 70s? 60s-ish. I think, and then my other one that's really interesting is on Harry Potter, Deathly Hallows, Daniel Radcliffe's stunt double got injured and ended up becoming quadriplegic from the injuries. Really? Oh, God. Yes. But now he and Daniel Radcliffe do a podcast together about like stunts and stunt safety called Cutting Stunts. Oh, my God. Wow, that's really cool. I mean, not the first part, obviously, but... Yeah, I can't believe that that wasn't ever like a big story, you know? Yeah. Totally. The one I think of immediately is Back to the Future, where that stunt woman, she would drop like three stories or something insane and broke her back doing a stunt. Oh, wow. I didn't know about this. There's a video about it where she talks about it, where she said the first time when they were explaining the stunt to her, she was like, this stunt is not safe. This does not feel safe. Mm. I don't feel safe doing this. And they basically were like, this is why we don't hire women. <sighs> like everyone else is going to do the stunt. Uh-huh. So she felt pressured to do the stunt. And lo and behold, it went wrong. And she ended up breaking her back, I think, uh, from memory of her neck or something. Oh, God. Very similar thing with Uma Thurman on Kill Bill. Because yes. when Dino pressured into doing that crash, which she released footage of, which is pretty wild. Yeah, super gnarly. So fucked up. It's funny that you mentioned the stuntman being eaten by a shark because I was just talking to someone the other day about as a stunt person, I'm not a stunt person, but if I were a stunt person, I would think if I get hurt doing a stunt, it better make the movie. I'll be mad if it doesn't (laughs) make the movie. Yeah. But being eaten and then it being in the movie. And then it being the whole marketing point of come see a guy get eaten by a shark. Gross. Yeah. There's a Thai movie on one of those lists where it was a guy who was like, really big Thai action star. And in the final scene of the movie, he's supposed to grab like the bottom rung of a helicopter and it flies away. And he did the stunt himself and they fucked it up. And the final shot is him like riding away on the ladder as the helicopter flies away. And in the theatrical version, they kept him falling to his death. (gasps) And since it's been released, it's been cut out and he just flies into the sunset. Yeah. Oh my God. That's, you know what? I would never do that shit myself. Like, yeah, I'm not brave. <laughs> you hear these things like Tom Cruise, who's what, almost 60 now or something? He's like, oh, I got to do all my own stunts. It just seems like a way to murder yourself or other people. Or other people. Yeah. You're putting everyone at risk if you don't know what you're doing, which I assume maybe in Tom Cruise's case he does, but you couldn't talk me into that stuff. Like, that's literally why stunt people exist. It's their whole job to know how to do that stuff safely. And then it's still incredibly risky. Yeah. It's just a bummer that it takes all of the really, really, really big accidents. Like there was a filming of, it was like 30s Noah's Ark movie where they had like a huge concrete pit that they had hundreds of extras in and they were dumping water in. And basically they were like, the extras are just going to have to deal with it. And three people died. But like when you watch the footage, it's insane that more people didn't die because there was like a bull in there, a horse in there as water is just like pouring in and they're all scrabbling out. (laughs) What extras? Like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get in there. (laughs) Yeah. So that caused like a lot of like new laws to be made 
made along with like the, you know, Twilight Zone, Vic Morrow accident. I was just going to say that I think the most famous one that everyone thinks of is the Twilight Zone. For sure. But that enacted like more laws to make things safer. And then also semi-recently and kind of close to home for me is, did you guys ever see the Slates for Sarah thing that popped up on a lot of like shows and movies? Is that the one where she was on the train tracks? Yeah. Yeah, that's really fucked. What is it? I don't know this. It was like an Allman Brothers movie in Georgia, and they were shooting on these train tracks illegally that the director had not gotten permits to shoot on. And they were like, no, 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 it's totally fine. There are no trains coming. And it's like a truss and a hospital bed on the tracks with like this tiny little bridge that was like a historic site. And then the train started coming and they were like, all right, everybody go. There's footage of the moments leading up to the accident and nobody's in enough of a hurry. The only way to get out of like the truss thing was to go towards the train. And so they're trying to like move the prop bed. And there's someone in the bed. No, there's not. Um, They were shooting a dream sequence or something, but several people were injured, but one woman, Sarah Jones, was killed by the train and it was really horrible. She was an audio, like, crew member, right, I think? Something like that. She was crew. But yeah, and so the lawsuits over that were insane and rightfully so because then the director turned it around and tried to blame the railway. It's like, well, we literally have it in writing that you guys asked to shoot here and we said no. So that one's kind of on you. Yeah. But thankfully, it became like a really big movement where there was a lot of awareness raised for it. And she had a slate at the in memoriam at the Oscars and like a ton of shows and TVs, you know. So hooray, things are safer, but it always requires fucked up, horrible things to happen to make them safer. Yeah. But the thing that's crazy is you say like things are safer, but then do you see, oh, it must have been like a year ago at this point that was it Michael Bay, that like shot of them doing a stunt where... A car flips, but it gets so close to all the crew. I'm pretty sure it was Michael Bay. And Michael Bay was like, this is how you do stunts. But it's like the car comes within like inches of the crew. And it's like, we have the technology. There's no need to put anyone at risk anymore for entertainment on top of that. Like, oh, I hate that shit. That's such bullshit, like macho crap. Yes, yes. Like you say, like literally the awesomest shit you've ever seen now is in front of a green screen and perfectly safe. Like if you think there's any risk, I'm not saying don't do practical, but if you think there's a risk of actually hurting someone, don't fucking do it. Exactly. We have the technology to do things practically and safely. Yeah. There's no need to put people at risk just for, look how crazy close we got. And honestly, to a moving going audience, a lot of times with stuff like that, you're like, oh, this looks weird because it's too close. Or even though that's a practical effect, I don't actually believe that that would look like that. Like, you're not getting some like transformative experience for the audience. You're just putting people at risk. Yeah, looking at that list and seeing how long it was and how like for so many famous movies, like seven camera operators died on this, but nobody hears about it or gives a shit because it wasn't one of the actors. Like, yeah, there is a really bad uh, devaluation of human life in favor of art there. Um, For sure. Audio listeners, I did a heavy air quotes on that. (laughs) (laughs) What's everybody gamer fueling on? I mean, what are you drinking? I don't know how to speak anymore. So that was how I asked that question. Hello, fellow humans. Um, It's bubbly water. I'm obsessed with bubbly water recently. Same. This is the generic Ralph's brand. Seltzer. Just says Seltz Kroger, Seltzer water. No, it says Seltzer. Seltzer. Yes. Water. Yeah, I'm the same. I drink almost exclusively fizzy water. And have been for year. I, and your own piss. Yeah, well, okay. If we want to bring that up again, uh, I did do You're that. You're the one who talked about drinking your own piss on accident on the show. Why would I ever let you forget it? You know what? You're right. You're doing what you should be doing. 
Um, <laughs> but I stopped drinking soda, I don't know, five years ago or something, because I was like, I'm not really getting anything out of this, and then moved hard into carbonated water. Yeah, I still try to avoid soda. I still have it every once in a while. Although the funny thing is, I'll out myself here. I'm notoriously messy on my streams. And um, like a week ago, probably more than that, I bought this like zero sugar Dr. Pepper. I was like, I'll mm. try it. I'll treat myself. <laughs> I had this much of it and was like, eh, it's kind of gross. I'll just get a water, fizzy water. <laughs> yeah, I like, can't. It's too heavy now. Yep. I used to drink a lot of like Diet Coke, Coke Zero stuff and loved it. And now when I try it again, I'm like, this just tastes like chemicals. It's just bad. Yeah. I completely lost the taste. Diet Coke is like one of the most noxious substances, especially if it's like hot and flat. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, though, my parents growing up loved Diet Pepsi. It was like the only thing that wasn't water that was in our house. Uh I could still probably drink a flat, hot Diet Pepsi and be like, (laughs) Did you guys have the the Diet Pepsi with the pre-lemon flavor? Do you remember that? There was a specific kind. Oh, I do remember that. Yes. We didn't have it in the house, but I do remember having it. I remember having six packs of that, of the Diet Pepsi with lemon flavoring as like the exciting brand of Diet Pepsi in our house. Don't get you a real fruit. We got you covered. (laughs) Bad, like really, (laughs) really chemical tasting lemon crap. Just awful. What's the origin of getting lemon in your water at restaurants? Why did that become a thing? I think because water tastes like shit a lot of the time. What the fuck, Brian? I think they put lemon in to mask, you know, like if there's a weird tap flavor or whatever, I think they put lemon in to just kind of mask the flavor a little bit. By the way, that may not be the origin of it. Probably the origin is just that it tastes good. I would rather drink like kind of tappy water than lemony water. Really? Oh, I can't disagree with you more. Yeah, I love me a lemony water. Really? At the spa when they have like the cucumber water, I'm all about, put some fruit, just any fruit, just put it in my water. Cucumber, mint, watermelon, like when you get the the infused stuff. You know what? This completely meets up with the sparkling water thing. I hate sparkling water. Not into (laughs) it. I think if you like sparkling water, the hint of a flavor of something else is probably very appealing for your water. But as a water purist. Give me that disgusting chemical in water that makes it taste chalky and bad. I don't need it to taste like watermelon. Uh, Fair, but incorrect. (laughs) I will say the thing with sparkling water that gets me, I don't know if you feel this, Meg, like a little bit of flavoring is great, but a lot of times they fuck it up and go too hard into the chemical tasting. Like if it's like Mm. fruity chemicals, I am out. And most like flavored sparkling water, I I find I can't do it because it just tastes unnatural. I will say that the reason I am obsessed with bubbly is because I feel like they go hard in the flavor department, but it's not too chemically. So it's the closest to me. Like LaCroix is like someone spit flavoring next to the water. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not enough. That's why I like it. That's literally why I like it. Yes. So I'm the opposite. Like bubbly is like, they were like crank it and that it's super close to soda. So that's why I like it more. Ah, I see. Why don't we introduce the show here? Sounds very professional of you. Everybody, welcome to Late Night with Brian Wecht. Across from me here, we have Leighton Gregg. Hi, that's me. That voice that you just heard, that was Brian. Hi. Mystery guest. Would you care to introduce yourself? Oh, hi, I'm mystery guest. (laughs) My name is Meg Turney. I am a Twitch streamer and cosplayer and YouTuber and all of the other crap that you're expected to do to encompass influencer nowadays. Yeah, literally everything. (laughs) Everything. Cool, great. Well, thank you for being here. It's exciting to to have you. you. You're in Austin, right? 
Yes, I'm in Austin. I actually wasn't in Austin. I went to Portland during the historic heat wave. Uh, Oh, just now? Yes, I literally got back the day before yesterday. Was it brutal? So it was 115 while I was there, which for Texas, I've been in 115 before. I was in marching band in 115. I distinctly remember. Mm -hmm. So I've done that, but Portland as a city was not prepared and is not prepared for weather of of that variety. So a lot of places didn't have air conditioning. I went to a mall and the mall was very hot. (laughs) So like here in Texas in the summertime, if you go indoors anywhere, it's too much. They do it too much. It's frigid, not in Portland. A hot mall just sounds so wrong. (laughs) Sounds awful. It felt wrong. I just needed something very quick and it motivated me to get in and get out because it was horrible. Um, I was hanging out with one of my friends from high school and she was like, oh, let's grab dinner. We'll get something ordered in. We'll play a board game. So many places were closed. There was no way to order anything. Just because they couldn't handle the heat. It was too hot. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, we're closing. It's too hot. We can't handle it. It felt very much like the opposite of, obviously, here in Texas, very famously in February, there was a huge freeze where everything shut down. Yeah, I've experienced both extremes now. Did you lose (laughs) power in that, too? Yes, we didn't have power for, like, four days, I think. Fuck. So, yeah, it was rough going. That's just wild. What was that like? To be honest, we actually were better off than, you know, I I know a lot of people really struggled. Our gas stayed on, so we were able to, like, light our fireplace. And so we basically just stayed huddled around that, played a lot of board games. Yeah. That's pretty much it. (laughs) So you you grew up in Texas? Yes. I was born in Houston, but raised in Austin. I mean, I got here when I was a little kid. So I basically say I'm born and raised in Austin. Yeah. What a fun and interesting place, right? Austin, you obviously know a lot more about it than I do, but every time I've been there, it just seems fantastic. Yeah. Austin is a nutty place, honestly, to be from because it is busting at the seams, really. It cannot support all of the people that are here. And actually, I lived in LA for like five years and I lived in LA as all of the people started coming to Austin. And I was like, right. It's a little town. It has an airport that has like 20 gates. Like, (laughs) why is everyone going there? And now I'm like, get out. (laughs) Go away. Now it's a cliche, right, for Californians to move to Austin. And Yeah, I felt like an imposter when I moved back from L.A. I had (laughs) California plates and I was like, but I'm from here. Don't look at me. Yeah, (laughs) I have such affection for like very small airports, like the Bob Hope Airport here and also the Portland Airport. Oh, I know it well. Yeah, I love weird little airports where you can just walk up. There's one person in front of you in line. You just go through security. You're right there. Yeah, I'll say for Portland, I was pleasantly surprised. Portland is like a tiny airport for being such a major city. And it took me like two minutes to get through security. There was nobody behind me. Yeah, the little like central atrium like splintering. It's like the perfect size. Nobody's ever there. Yeah. It felt very, very, very empty. Have you spent a lot of time up there in Portland? I actually haven't. This was only my second time there. I did a convention there once. I've been to Seattle a fair many times. I like to run. I did my first half marathon just outside of Seattle in Snoqualmie. Congratulations. Thank you. It's absolutely beautiful up there. So I hadn't really been to Portland. I've been more to like the Seattle area. Well, here's the question. Did you go to Powell's? 
What is Powell's? Oh, Powell's. <laughs> that is also going to be my first question. Okay. Powell's is, as far as I'm concerned, the best bookstore in the world. Oh, is it the like city block one? That's yes. like a full city block? That's the one. I was told by my friend who lives there about it. She was like, you have to go to Powell's. And I just did not have the time. I'd heard about it for, I don't know, for fucking years. And then the first time I went, it wasn't that long ago. It was probably five or six years ago. And it could not have lived up to the hype more. Oh, it was wow. like, <laughs> It was one of those things where I was expecting it to be incredible. And it was. It was just the best. I heard that they have like early editions of books. Yeah. On the top, they have like a rare book room. I mean, I don't know how they're doing it now, but only a few people at a time can go in. Yeah. Things are behind glass. And if you really want something, you have to ask for it. Yeah. I actually was in Portland. The reason I didn't have time is because I got a half sleeve tattoo. Oh, wow. Beautiful. That's new. Yeah, the whole thing is new. My arm was blank previously. <laughs> it's a bug? Oh, that- it's Ellie's tattoo from The Last of Us Part 2. It's like a moth and the fern leaves. Oh, awesome. Oh, cool. Who's the artist? Kirsten Holiday at Wonderland Tattoo. And Kirsten and I, oddly enough, like I said before, we're best friends in high school here in Austin. Uh-huh. And she moved to Portland and became this amazing tattooer. And uh, I was very honored to get into her books to be able to get tattooed. So yeah, it was fun. That seems like a very labor-intensive tattoo. It was hours. (laughs) And the best part is I have like a tattoo on my ribs. Uh And she was like, oh, you've done a rib piece. Arms, no problem. Arm (laughs) is a problem. Arm was not comfortable (laughs) at all. I mean, no tattoo is comfortable, but... I had a friend who got a tattoo on her arm at the same time. She tweeted like, oh, my tattooer ran out of numbing cream. So I'm going to have to do the last little bit without it. And I was like, numbing cream? Yeah, what? (laughs) I didn't get no numbing cream. People use numbing cream? Yeah, apparently that is the new hotness to use numbing cream. But the whole point is that you're going to be in pain for a few hours for the sake of art. I was talking to somebody about it. I said, I bet there are tattooers who are like, absolutely not. That is not the essence of tattooing. The gun has like a little timer on it. I think I sat for three hours of actual needle on skin Ugh, time. Wow. And we were chatting the whole time. It wasn't, you know, ever too painful where I couldn't talk. But I certainly, when she was like, we're almost done, was like, Let's, yes, please. <laughs> it's the wipe is the worst part for me, at least. I felt like, honestly, the wipe didn't get me. The shading. Oh, she yeah. She was like, oh, shading's easy. Shading will go fast. Shading is scrapey. And it hurts. Yeah. Shading, you mean just adding the different levels of darkness to the different parts? Yeah. So she did all the line work first. So everything that's like a dark, complete black, solid black, or all of the lines. Mm -hmm. Then she took this little three-prong needle. It's very difficult to see, but I have like a bunch of gradient pieces where it's just shaded in a little bit. And that is very scrapey. Mm-hmm. And it is not at all the comfort I was promised. And what is the wipe? <laughs> I don't know what you mean by the wipe. Well, they do it several times throughout where they'll wipe away all of the excess ink. Mm-hmm. So they just wipe straight down the fresh tattoo. Gotcha. Yeah, with like a paper towel. And, you know, because you've just spent several hours getting a wound put on you. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, let's scrape the entire thing down. It seems like that healed pretty quick, Meg. Oh, it has a bandage on it. You can maybe see right here where the bandage is starting oh, to yeah, come up okay. a little bit. Yeah, it. it's still covered. I get to take it off tomorrow. But this little bit where my hand bends has been coming up and I've been like, touch, touch, stop touching. <laughs> touch, touch, stop touching. Yeah. The clear bandages are so fucking cool. When I got my first tattoo, I think my lady didn't have any, but when I got 
this one was just like, oh, I can show everybody immediately. Yeah, this tattoo and I think this tattoo, I didn't have a clear bandage. I think they call it like second skin or something. Yeah, yeah. Fancy. And it like holds all of the goodness in. All the juices. Yeah, all the juices. (laughs) Thankfully, mine wasn't too juicy. I think I had saran wrap, like literally just kitchen saran wrap on my other tattoos. It seems so stressful to me. Well, A, to get a tattoo, especially a big one like both of you have. But to be a tattoo artist, because the margin for error is so small. It's none. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I feel like I would just be the whole time like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. I'm going to fuck up this person's skin. Oh, God. You know. I could not handle the pressure. It seems like one of the most pressure intensive jobs you could have. This is why we need to have my friend Allison on for a mini or something, because she does like stick and poke like hand tattoos without a gun. And like, she's fucking incredible. I don't know how she does it. Yeah. How do you do that? Even just to get to the point where you can draw something and have it turn out okay, even on paper or whatever. I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah, you're like a few steps away. (laughs) Yeah, so that by itself is something I can't even come close to doing. But then to do it on an uneven round surface, which also happens to be someone's body, Yeah. And anticipate, are they going to jump? Are they going to like move? And it's still on you if they do. I made a joke in the middle of the tattoo. There was a fly and she was like, oh, this damn fly. And she went back to tattooing and uh, she was like, I just don't want him to get in the ink. And I said something like, oh, he's drowning. And she was like still doing lines. She was like, is he? And I was like, no. Oh, God, no. I'm sorry. I was like, please don't like whip around. And she didn't. But I was just like, oh, that was so dumb. What if I startled her and she made like a, yeah. oh gosh. Well, that's the other thing is the amount of focus you have to have is just incredible. Yeah, it was nutty. And the top part of it is my mom's handwriting. Oh, oh cool. Oh my gosh. What does it say? It says, look for the light, which is the end of the Fireflies motto from the game. Cute. But she, A, took it from four different handwriting samples because my mom wrote it like a million times. And then I picked from different ones and was able to like line it up perfectly but also it's so fine the line and all the pressure I was thinking of like not only now does she have to do this teeny tiny line but she has to interpret swoopy doopy handwriting like my mom oh (laughs) I'm very impressed I find her very impressive I can't believe it only took three hours. Yeah. When I showed her the piece, I was like, so do we need to do this in several sessions? And she was like, ah, no, you'll be fine. Five hours at the most. And I was like, oh "Oh, gosh. Yeah. In three hours, she nailed it. Well, I also wonder with being a tattoo artist, like I assume you kind of just do what people ask you to do, but there must be times when people come in and you're like, is this a good idea? Oh, yes. You really want this? But I would assume like maybe rule one is if they ask for it and they say, yes, I want this, you have to assume they're speaking in good faith, right? I don't know how other tattoo artists do it, but Kirsten in particular, I do know, she doesn't really tattoo other people's artwork at all. She only tattoos her own artwork. So that's why when I sent her this piece, I was like, I know you don't do other people's artwork. This is from a video game. And so she made like this exception for me. But I know for a lot of tattoo artists, that's kind of what they work toward is only doing their own artwork. So they don't have to do something that has their name on it that they don't like or, you know. Right. Yeah, because there's also huge issues with like stolen art or stolen tattoos being tattooed. And also like, there's a thing with, if you draw stuff online, people will be like, hey, can I get this tattooed? And that's always really nice. But you don't have control over like knowing who they're going to take the tattoo to or like how they're going to interpret the style. Or maybe it was something that like you sketched and was totally like not 
designed to be tattooed. So it's like, I'm always happy to give permission for stuff, but like sometimes it's like, oh, this tattoo artist like doesn't jive with this style. Like it happens sometimes. There's a reason that artists do flash for them to tattoo themselves. Like, What does that mean, Flash? do flash? It's a flash sheet is a bunch of like, you know, preset designs that people can pick from to get tattooed. Got it. And that kind of came into play with my mom's handwriting. I knew I wanted it to face me, but I was a little bit nervous because we hadn't quite figured out where we wanted to put it yet. When we decided on the crook of my arm, I was like, now it's fully upside down to the rest of the world if it faces me. And is that something you think I'm going to get commented on a lot? What do you think? And Kirsten was like, it's one line. Normally, if you did several lines of text, I would tell you, don't put it upside down. It's going to look weird. But Mm -hmm. she was like, it's one line. It's meant for you. It faces you. I think it looks beautiful. Like she came in and was like, here's what I think. Normally, I would tell people not to do this. But with yours, I think, you know, so there is like an editorial aspect, I think, to tattoos that a lot of artists have. There's got to be. Leighton, so your friend Allison has some of your art that she's tattooing on people now, right? Yeah, she's done a good number of them now, like maybe five or six of them. But yeah, I specifically drew a flash sheet sort of inspired by things I know that we both like. And she's been doing them as stick and pokes. And I'm probably going to do more flash designs for her in the future. Do you know anything about the people that have been getting your art on them? Or are they people you know is really what I'm asking. Oh, no. They're just people who come to her for tattoos and they're not friends of yours who are getting your art. Which is super awesome, right? People you don't know getting your stuff on their body. It's a majority of people who like don't follow me or like are not familiar with me and just follow her. And we're like, oh, that looks cool, which I think is great. I think that's even more of a compliment. Yeah, yeah. Right. Is there just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't care who did it. I just love that. That's cool. Put that on. Yeah. I think that's a big deal. Uh, Focus, if you want to look at Allison's tattoos, she's at local bird mom on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Also on Twitter. She's here in LA, right? Yes. You were talking earlier about stolen tattoos. So I have a less than three on my wrist, which is not at all a unique tattoo. Mm -hmm. But I have seen... At this point, dozens of people who are like, I liked your tattoo. I got it. I don't want to say anything and then hurt those people's feelings. But I do remember at the beginning being like, but it was my tattoo. I got it there and in that size for me. But I think now I see more of the side of like, that's really sweet. It spoke to you. I'm glad that this could affect you in a way that you feel connected to it. That's for you. That's your journey. But yeah, I do know that there are artists who, if you show them a tattoo and are like, I want this, they'll be like, no, that's that person's tattoo. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Meg, has anyone ever had like your image tattooed on them or anything you've done. You know what I mean? My signature is tattooed on a few people, which I feel like people never tell me they're going to get it tattooed. So I'm like, I wish I had done a better signature. (laughs) Uh, Same thing with me. My signature is tattooed on a couple people. And one time the person was like, okay, so I'm going to turn this into a tattoo. So, you know, blah, blah, blah. Do good. So do good. (laughs) And at least then you can be like, okay, well, that wasn't my best work. You know, that's like a weird one because you're standing on a body and, you know, sometimes you move or you get a weird angle. But yeah, sometimes you see it and you're like, I totally agree. I wish I had known. (laughs) Yeah, I never feel like, oh, that one's ugly. But I'm like, oh, I wish I had given you a few to choose from at least. But it's an incredible compliment. Just that like you and the things you do and what you represent means enough to someone that they're like, I want this to be a part of myself forever. Yeah. And that's what I was saying with the heart too. I feel like that is where I've arrived. But I would be completely lying if I didn't say at first. I was like, well, son of a that was mine, you know? (laughs) And then you take a step back. And that's actually with Ellie's tattoo from The Last of Us. 
there are probably a thousand people who have this exact tattoo in this exact location. And I knew that going in. And I do understand a lot of people would be like, oh, but everyone has that tattoo. But for me, it's like, well, this is what it means to me. And this is why it's yeah. important yeah. to me. And and I think that that applies to people getting my heart as well. It clearly means something to them. And you know, I'm glad they could connect to that. Yeah. For their body forever. Well, any piece of art that's out there in the world, that's accessible to anybody to mean whatever it means to them. Right. So just because a lot of people have seen a thing or heard a thing or have a thing, it doesn't make it less special for you to have it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Art's experiential, baby. Yeah. It's subjective, which is why anybody trying to be prescriptivist or whatever about media should shut up. This seems like a good time to move on to some segments. What do you think? Sure. Why are you looking at me like that? I'm not looking at you in any way, Brian. You are definitely (laughs) looking at me in a way. I was drinking my coffee. I don't know what Uh you're talking about. But you were drinking your coffee while you were looking at me. See, this is what I'm talking about. (laughs) Now you're not doing it, actually. Now you're doing it. I don't understand why you're attacking me right now. Uh It's a hostile podcast. Permission to teach the podcast is hostile. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? I feel like we should actually have a soundboard with that on it or something, because that soundbite, permission to treat the podcast as hostile, would get used a lot, because it does happen. If you think this is hostile, you should see the live show. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Our first segment is our pop culture recommendation segment. It's called What's Poppin'? And it has a theme song, which goes here. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? Okay, that's the theme song to What's Poppin'. Layton, what's poppin'? I'd just like to take a moment of silence for everyone to appreciate that Brian behaved this week. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, sure you don't. Meg, I'm sorry that you're on the outside on this bit, but it's not even it's, worth the air that it would take to explain this recurring, <laughs> exhausting bit to you that we were so kindly spared by Brian. What's no, popping for? Uh, no, no, sorry, sorry. I, I, I do have to. I do have to interrupt here for a second. Layton has this recurring bit that I do a, a bit for the What's Poppin' theme song. And whenever we have a guest on, she pretends that I do something every week and make it very uncool, and she turns it into this hostile thing. But all I have ever done is say, "Here's the theme song. We put it in post. The guest never hears anything." I assumed that's what was happening. Yes. <laughs> But every week, every week, Leighton does this kind of anti-comedy bit where she's like, oh, Brian turns this into a bit. It's this whole thing. So I begged her, begged her, begged her to stop doing it because it makes guests uncomfortable sometimes. But she keeps <laughs> she keeps at it. So sorry. What were you saying, Leighton? I've hated this for over a year now, but I think my least favorite iteration is where you start gaslighting me about it. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> textbook. Anyway, what's popping for me is a YouTube channel called Hiking with Kevin Nealon. I think that's his name. He's the character actor. (laughs) From Saturday Night Live? Yeah. Yeah. But he has a channel where he does like interviews with comedians and celebrities where they just go for a hike and they go for hikes around Los Angeles and they have some really nice little interviews. There's a great one with Jack Black, Bob Odenkirk, Owen Wilson. There's one with David Spade where David Spade talks about the really wild story of his assistant trying to kill him and like- what. Yeah, what? <laughs> he was oh, close right over that. Yeah, uh, David Spade had a personal assistant for three years who he was really close friends with who essentially like showed up in the middle of the night. And I, I don't even want to like spoil it, but like if anybody wants to see it, go look up the Kevin Nealon, David Spade interview because it's a wild story. And that dude's got 
off for it because he was fully intending to kill him. He still works in the film industry. That's That's insane. Horrible. Yeah. And it's very interesting watching a bunch of different interviews where David Spade talks about it because all the hosts treat it like it's a bit and not like a genuinely fucked up traumatic experience. Not like an attempted murder. Yeah, exactly. That's awful. Yeah. Anyway, hiking with Kevin Nealon. It was great. And so it's mostly him and comedy people. Yeah. And it's great because everyone's out of breath. (laughs) It's just like the most (laughs) wheezing you've ever seen in an interview show. Do they have someone following them with a camera? I was just going to ask, what is the production of it? Like, I think Kevin just has like a selfie stick with a camera on it and they walk. Like it's very uh, lo-fi. That's really cool. Also very funny with the Jack Black one because people keep stopping them to like (laughs) take (laughs) pictures of Jack Black. And Kevin just like keeps on walking and then it's Jack Black like (laughs) running to come back. That's really funny. He was on the same time as, well, it was like Sandler, Myers, Dana Carvey. Norm MacDonald. Norm MacDonald, Dennis Miller, maybe. Oh, yeah, because part of the whole David Spade story is that the personal assistant tried to kill him because he didn't get a bit part in Joe Dirt that went to Kevin Nealon. <laughs> really? Oh, my God. Yeah. In Joe Dirt. Joe Dirt. Wow. Comedy yes. classic. Yeah, comedy Joe classic. Dirt. Jesus Christ. God, I'm just full of the morbid film industry stories today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> David Spade, I obviously don't know him as a human being, but it is someone who I just have always found so funny. Like, Mm -hmm. for some reason, the characters he plays, like, in Just Shoot Me, he was wonderful. I remember just absolutely loving him in that show. Yeah, he's perfect as that, like, smarmy kind of, like, hang Yes. And with him with Farley together was always So good. Yeah. Such a good yin and yang. I was just watching. Have you ever seen the SNL, the Hurley boy? Have you ever seen this recurring bit? No. It's Adam Sandler and Chris Farley. Generally, I'm not like the world's hugest Adam Sandler fan. I like a lot of what he does, but, you know, I'm not like a super fan. And the Hurley boy, whatever, house sitting service. And it's Adam Sandler just looking at the camera and he goes, please let me house sit for you. Please (laughs) let me sit in your house. Let me stay in your house. And then you cut to Chris Farley, who goes, let the boy sit in your house. (laughs) He's just a boy. It's the only thing he's ever wanted. It's really, really funny. And it was a recurring thing. You had like the Hurley boy, dog sitting service. and oh, I love old SNL. Like old SNL is so good. Mm-hmm. So, so funny. Who's your favorite cast or era? I mean, Steve Martin, like the King Tut sketch. Yeah. So great. And like Wild and Crazy Guys. Yep. Oh, there's so many good ones. The shark bit. The land shark. Yeah, where there's, you know, they knock, 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 and then the shark yeah. eats someone when he comes in. But I will say my cast that I really just loved was Will Ferrell, Molly Shannon. Oh, yeah. That cast was just so, so good. Yes. Molly Shannon fucking rules. And I feel like people don't talk about her as much as they should because she is just a comedic genius. She's very funny. What has she been up to since? She shows up in movies occasionally. Yeah, I feel like she shows up randomly. Yeah, but I always thought she was just so funny for everything she did. One of those people just turns everything into an amazing comedic bit. Just by opening her mouth. And I feel like she didn't break very often. Sherry O'Terry, another like really great yeah. actress. I did literally just this morning watch a, it's not a good sketch. It's kind of like a textbook. And I feel like this was the point of how not to write a sketch. Like just bunch of random shit happens. I think that was the point of like, it's so bad. That's what makes it funny. It's Will Ferrell as a doctor. He starts the sketch and he's on the phone. He's like, 
Who? No, this is Mark. I think you have the wrong person. Oh, is it the one where he's like in his office? Yes. And they come in? Yes, I do remember this. With Tim Meadows as Dr. Stephen Poop. Yeah, it's very (laughs) random, but it's more about the cast's reactions to what happens. That's right. But what I was going to say is it's the only time I can really remember Molly Shannon like losing her mind breaking in this sketch. At some point they cut to her and she is just visibly cracking up because Will Ferrell is so funny. Not that we're going to turn this into like an SNL podcast, but I loved Please. <laughs> Mango was an amazing running sketch. Always and great. I don't even remember what the shirt was, but I feel like it was like the origin of Mugatu where they would fold the shirts and they would be like very hoity-toity. Oh, yeah. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. Will Ferrell, I remember at one point, had like a teeny tiny cell phone that he like just unfolded with his fingertips. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember thinking that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Right. There's a lot of really great stuff on it right now. This current season has some really incredible people on it. I love Bowen Yang. I think that guy is so funny. I haven't watched SNL in years at this point, but I do try and catch like the things online that they upload. Yeah, there's some really funny performers on there right now. Bowen, I've been a big fan of his podcast with Matt Rogers, Las Culturistas, for a long time. Really, really great. Oh, it's that guy. Okay. It's that guy, yeah. He's amazing. Ego Wodum is incredible. Like, just think they have a lot of really talented people on right now. Kate McKinnon, of course, is like incredible. Everyone always loves to shit on the current Saturday Night Live, no matter when it is. But I think right now there's a lot of good stuff. Okay. Uh, Meg, what's poppin'? Okay, so since we already talked about Hook, (laughs) what's popping for me is the Dollop podcast. I don't know if you guys have ever heard about this podcast. It's with two comedians, one of the writers for Marin, Dave Anthony, and a stand-up comedian, um, Gareth Reynolds, who is so talented. And basically, they tell stories from American history, and Mm -hmm. it's a lot of stuff that you probably have never heard before or things that you are like, oh, I know this. And then you hear the story and you're like, I did not know the story. (laughs) And Dave Anthony basically plays the straight man and Gareth Reynolds riffs and improvs off of the story. But it is hilarious. I always listen to it and highly recommend. What's the name of it again? It's called The Dollop. Oh, like D-O-L-L-O-P? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Dollop. (laughs) I think they're in episode like 400 or something. So you can go way, way, way back and enjoy all Mm -hmm. of the content. It's very much evergreen. It's not like dated in any way. So yeah, it's very cool. Do you have like specific episodes you'd recommend for people to get into? Yeah, I think the most famous or infamous in the podcast history is The Rube. I think it's episode like 12. It's about this guy who was called The Rube. And he was one of baseball's like earliest phenoms. But he would get distracted. If there was a fire engine, for instance, that went by during a baseball game, he would just leave the game to chase it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's incredible. And he was a pitcher, I believe. And this is like early days baseball. Yes. Like at the invention of baseball, this man would just leave to chase fire engines if they went by. In the that sounds like a better game. He was like <laughs> several steps ahead of everything. Yes. Like that's the future of baseball. Yeah. There's also a really good one about 10 cent beer night. Oh, yes. Yes. The infamous 1970s 10 cent beer night and what went wrong. Where was that? Uh, Which stadium? Cincinnati or? Yeah, it was somewhere in the Midwest. That's how I remember. I can't remember where. I want to say it was Cincinnati. My daughter, when she was three and we took her to soccer, which was not really 
soccer so much as a thing that happened in a park where soccer balls were present. It's a vehicle for children to scream and drink Capri Sun. Yeah, it's just for them to run around and tire themselves out, isn't it? That's right. But what she would do, the fire truck reminded me, is that at least once during every class, she would just shoot off in a random direction and just start (laughs) running in a straight line. And it happened every single class without fail. If you weren't watching, suddenly you'd look up and be like, where's Aunt? Oh, Aunt she's over there, just running straight ahead. She's practicing her running. Someone have to run after her and be like, Audrey, Audrey, honey, come on, come on. Uh, uh. Oh, yeah, okay. Turn around, back to class. <laughs> Keep doing little soccer drills. It was in Cleveland, by the way. I Googled it. Cleveland. Okay, cool. Brian. Yes. What's popping? What's popping for me is I had been until... This past week, missing one Paul Thomas Anderson film that I'd never seen, which was Hard Eight. Oh. And I finally watched it. It's his first feature. It's basically a character piece starring Philip Baker Hall. You've seen this character actor in everything. He's an older guy now, but he shows up all over the place all the time. If you look up a picture of Philip Baker Hall, you'll be like, oh, that guy. Oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, he's fucking old now. Damn. He's like close to 90 now. You know what? Good for him. He's breathing. And he's still working, I think. Ah, yes. Right? A true that guy. True that guy. And this is one of the very few, like, him in a leading role movies. And it stars him and John C. Riley. Oh, okay. Yeah. And also, Samuel Jackson has a smaller but crucial part, as does Gwyneth Paltrow, who I'm not the biggest fan of for non-acting reasons, but whatever. (laughs) I think you could also have acting reasons for her. It's- <laughs> sure. She's fine in this film. She doesn't have a lot to do. But it's basically a character study of these two guys, Philip Baker Hall, who's an older, like, veteran gambler dude, and John C. Riley, and just the story of kind of their relationship. And not a lot happens. It's pretty much all set in Reno. So there's a lot of, like, casino stuff going on. You know, it is not as audacious as, like, Magnolia or Boogie Nights or these other Paul Thomas Anderson film where it's just like, how did he do that? Oh my God. You know, it's not quite as breathtaking. It's a lot smaller, but I really, really enjoyed it. And for a film where kind of very little happens, you just get to watch these performances unfold over whatever, you know, an hour and 40 minutes. I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm honestly surprised I hadn't seen it before, but it's on Criterion now and it's great. So now that you've seen all the Paul Thomas Anderson movies, which is your favorite? Oh, well, I think there's a clear winner here, which is Punch Drunk Love, mm, which is okay. a movie that I just love for, actually just talking about Adam Sandler. Honestly, the soundtrack for Punch Drunk Love, it's a John Bryan soundtrack, and I just love it, love it, love it. The score is incredible. The Master is a close second. I haven't seen all of PTA movies, but The Master is like, my favorite of his and also one of my favorites ever. It's fucking Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman in a yep. cult movie. Like, what more could you possibly ask for? It opens with Joaquin Phoenix fucking the beach. Yep, that's right. Perfection. <laughs> and Laura Dern shows up briefly. Amy Adams. Did you know Rami Malek is in it? Yeah, yeah. Jesse Plemons is in it. Jesse Plemons is in it. Just what an all-timer of a Philip Seymour Hoffman I actually just rewatched it recently, and it it is really, really, really great. You know, when Magnolia came out, I saw it in the theaters, and at the time, I loved it. Now, it feels a little bit too much for me. You know, it's a good film. I love the Amy Mann songs from it. They're really great, but I don't know. The Master is more confusing 
And I think that's why I like it more. <sighs> okay, so I constantly watch Philip Seymour Hoffman's scenes. Like that is a go-to like background monitor kind of thing mm-hmm. for me. And there are some very good compilations on YouTube, but I just am constantly thinking about the pig fuck scene. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yes. Just incredible. But above all, I am a man. You know what is not a great film? Although it has some stuff to recommend it is Inherent Vice. It's okay. It's okay. There's some vibes. I just read the book a couple of years ago It's because it's a pension that I hadn't read. Yeah. The book is amazing. The book is fantastic. The movie is, eh, it's a cool vibe, but it didn't really hit. Yeah. Sometimes movies are just about the vibes. Yeah. Which is actually kind of what Heart 8 is. The vibe is Reno. <laughs> and <laughs> it was really effective. I liked it a lot. Anyway, that's what's popping for me. Hell yeah. All right. Let's move into our final segment, which is three-part gratitude exercise and one-part airing of petty grievances. So this is Peaches and Lemons, and here is where the theme song goes. Peaches and Lemons. Peaches and Lemons. All right. So we will all start with a lemon, which is a thing that is a minor inconvenience that we want to bitch about. <laughs> Someone else please go first, because I'm trying to identify a lemon that isn't a bummer. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you go first, Brian. Yeah, it's a very minor thing. Today was an annoying breakfast day for me. I tried to eat several fruits, all of which were bad. And, you know, I went to get the berries out and they'd all gone moldy. We'd cut up a mango a few days ago and it was sparkly. You know that when you eat something and it's like sparkly because it's starting to turn. It's got like the grit to it or something. It's not even the grit. It's like you put it in your mouth and it tastes a little bit like Pop Rocks. And so that didn't work. And then I was like, well, I've defrosted this soy chorizo, which I like a lot, but it had kind of leaked in the process. So it was an annoying breakfast day. I turned it around. I made soy chorizo and eggs and it was great, but. Ooh, that does sound good. Yeah. Ralph's had this kind of soy chorizo on sale for a while. It was like four for five bucks or five for four bucks. I can't remember. That was really, really great. And it's been my go-to for a while. Since it's soy chorizo, what's the juice content? Because I feel like for me, chorizo is just like my entire lower half of my face is going to be red grease for the rest of the day. (laughs) How is it? It's actually not too bad. You can kind of cook it to your desired level of dryness. It's like a tube. It's just the meat. Cut it open, dump it in a pan, fry it up until you're satisfied with how wet it is, and then (laughs) eat it. Fabulous. It's not too bad, but the juice content is strong enough that it leaked all over my refrigerator when I was defrosting it. Fuck yeah. So I got so frustrated that Audrey said, why is daddy upset? (laughs) (laughs) So that's my lemon. But I had a great breakfast in the end. So it all worked out. There you go. Meg, lemon? Yeah. Okay. So I came back from Portland on Tuesday night. To get back from Portland, I had to go Austin, Dallas, Dallas, Portland, Portland, Dallas, Dallas, um, Mm -hmm. Austin. And I don't know if you guys saw in the news recently that American Airlines was like, canceling a bunch of flights. Yeah. But I actually got a notice like a week before I flew that my Dallas to Austin return had been canceled and rebooked. They had booked me on like a later flight. So my layover was going to be like three hours or something. And then when I was flying into Dallas, I got a notification that my flight was delayed. And it was delayed like an hour. And I have actually a few times before the pandemic in very rapid succession had that flight. They'll delay it, delay it, delay it, delay it. And then after like 1 a.m., they'll cancel it. Oh, that's the worst. And then I'm forced to drive because it's only three hours. So I drive. Because that flight is like, 
20 minutes or something. Yes. It's yeah. like 40 minutes or something. Yeah, yeah. But if I had just known it was going to be canceled at eight or whenever it was supposed to go, I could already be home. So yes. when I got the notification in the air that it was delayed, I was like, I am not playing this game. And I rented a car and drove. But my gripe is that I had to drive. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bummer. It was annoying. And that's not like a fun drive either. No, it's boring. It's boring. <laughs> and yeah. actually, the flight did end up going at the delayed time. So I still cost myself like 45 minutes by driving. But if I hadn't, it would have been canceled. And right. I know no, that. <laughs> I know that about the universe. <laughs> yeah. So that was my gripe. Yeah. Layden, lemon. My lemon is preemptively fuck fireworks. We've gotten... <laughs> oh. Some lead up fireworks, yes, and I am not looking forward because my window is still broken. Because I thought I had emailed property management, and I was like, "Why the fuck haven't they responded to me?" And it was because I didn't fucking hit send on the email. Oh no! Oh no! So my window is probably going to be broken for Fourth of July, and it's going to make me just be jumpy. A couple of fireworks went off last night and maybe immediately was just like, I need to be in like right here, like right oh, on your yep. face, mom. Like I got to be right here so I can be safe from the loud noise. Aww. Yeah. Fireworks are bad. What if we didn't do them? What if we just skipped out? Yeah. What if we didn't? Wasn't there just like a news story where the LAPD like detonated the yes. fireworks in like a residential neighborhood and like imploded a truck? Are billions at work. <laughs> People got injured and stuff, right? Because of LAPD fireworks? I thought there were a few injuries, but nothing like critical or serious. It was a big thing. Yeah, I fucking hate the fireworks thing. It's like, guys, come on. What are we really getting out of this? Ooh. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know because I'm not outside looking at them, but it sounds like a lot of them are just like M80 noisemaker kind of things, not yeah. actual let's look at something cool kind of thing. And there was definitely a thing early in the pandemic where it was like fireworks party everywhere. All the time, I heard a bunch of stories from people that they were like, people are just out setting off fireworks for like whatever reason. For why. <laughs> yeah, for why. Well, and especially here, which is fire prone, it's like, yeah. you know, if you're not careful about that shit, as I assume most people aren't, you can do some real damage. Also, firework injuries are really bad. Yes. Oh, like, yeah. Those are bad. Yeah. yeah. And you don't want to be that person that's like... Whoops, I burned down Oregon. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Those people exist. There are people who have done that. Like, don't do that. 100%. Yeah, I think about the gender reveal party baby. Yeah. Like, oh, the dumbest. That baby's going to have to, like, grow up with that hanging above him. Like, oh, fuck, my gender burned down a state. Yes. Well, there are several, several gender reveal babies where someone died at their gender reveal. <laughs> I so, know. that's fuck too. Like, best case scenario, you start a huge fire. Like, worst case scenario, you kill someone. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. The whole gender reveal thing. Yay, sex organs. Oh my God. Like, why <laughs> do we care? Who fucking cares? It's just the most self-involved bullshit. I hate it so much. Yeah, it's a very embarrassing and regressive stupid thing that I hate to see. Also, just like, as a PTSD haver, fireworks... No, thank you. And there yeah. are a lot of PTSD havers in this country for a variety of reasons. And it's just yeah. like, hey, do you want to be miserable and on edge and super anxious like for the next week? Yeah. That's where you're going to be. Also, I hate 4th of July celebrations. Like, I don't want to be outside getting ash and firework debris sprinkled on me while I can sit uncomfortably in the heat. No, thank you. Drinking a warm beer. A lot of people love them, but they are 
Not my cup of tea. I agree. All right. Peaches. Is that a Dead by Daylight adrenaline pillow behind you? <laughs> yeah, it is. Girl, I uh, don't know if you know this. I'm obsessed with this game. Oh, wonderful. Because me too. Happy Cake Week. Heck yeah. It's time to celebrate. I'm actually a fog whisperer for the game. Really? Oh, fuck. You got the charm? Yeah. That's exciting. Who's your main? Uh, Meg is my main because it's me. <laughs> Are you more of a survivor or killer? Yeah, I play both, but Meg is my survivor main. And then my killer main right now is Pyramid Head, but it used to be Trapper. Trapper's like my OG main. <gasps> I have so much respect for Trapper mains. Like the, it, you're on a whole nother level of like 4D chess dead by daylight. Yeah, you got to think about where are people going to run? Yeah. There's this prop master that's making me all of the weapons from the game. So oh. I just got the Huntress... Literally today, I unboxed her axe and her throwing hatchets, and it's so cool. Is this just to have them or for a cosplay thing? No, so I'll probably cosplay the Huntress now that I have them, but it was just to have them. So there's stuff that I don't intend to cosplay. I'm making a plague cosplay right now, so. Oh, fuck, that's going to be cool. How are you doing the uh, headpiece? There's a girl in Russia who makes the headpiece and the little... Sensor? Yeah, it's called the sensor, exactly. So I just made the dress. It's almost done, and uh, yeah, we'll do it. I can't wait to see that. With the tattoo for a cosplay, is does that create more of a hassle for you? You just cover it up. So Dermablend is like a very easily available makeup that'll cover it completely. Some people do cover their tattoos. I tend not to in cosplay, but mm-hmm. I've never had anything huge. So now that I have something really, really big, if it's distracting, I'll cover it. Also, that would completely work for her though. Yeah. Like, especially, are you going to do like the burn like makeup? On you? So we're going to do two shoots because there's an artist that did a version of her before the plague. And she's like really pretty. And so I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to shoot it with like the full special effects. So probably, yeah, if I made the burned side this side, it would totally like play into that. Yeah. Gosh, that's so cool. Her design is like one of my favorites for the killers in the game. Yeah, I absolutely loathe playing against her because her mechanics are disgusting. Also, everyone's like, guys, let's heal. Let's cleanse and let's heal. Yeah, let's give her more ammo. Right, if you don't know, she throws up on people. That is her mechanic. I did not know that. Yeah, it's it's gross. It's projectile vomit. Once you get the vomit on you, you cough and you start vomiting. Yeah. And then if you cleanse, it gives her vomit that kills you. (laughs) Yeah, it gives her like lava vomit. That's awesome. I will play this game soon, right, Layden? We're going to do it soon. Yes. For our 400 patron thing, we agreed that us and the, our friends, the band Twerp, would teach Brian how to play Dead by Daylight. Nice! But I yep. think the, the plan was for all of us to play Survivor's No Perks, and then you were trying to figure out what killer would be good for you. Oh, okay. Because I think you would have more fun killing all of us. Probably. I'm thinking maybe Wraith. You might like Wraith. Big Daddy Bing Bong. Bing bong boy, he goes invisible and hits a bell and then he comes and slaps you. I'm into it. I mean, just from that description, yes, sure. And his weapon's really cool. It's like a spine. Yeah, yeah. Uh That he just like ripped out of a dude. Ghostface would also be fun for you because he has literally the most jump scare potential. And I hate, as you can see, he's my boy, but playing against him makes me so miserable because you're just like, watch, looking over your shoulder. Uh It's really cute. He peeks around corners and like waves, which is super (laughs) cute. He's like the memeiest killer because he can teabag survivors back. (laughs) Yeah. I will say though that I don't play Ghostface and I played him for the first time and I found him really frustrating compared to other killers. The learning curve is so bad. You do have to learn how to use him. It's broken as fuck. Like currently, I think the way that being able to break him out like doesn't work right now. And also like the lean because you're supposed to be able to stalk faster when you lean and like some of that shit is broken. 
Yeah, I would say Michael Myers is a really easy to learn creep jump scare killer too. Yeah, he's just slow as hell. Ghostface is so add-on dependent. And also if you're not getting early, early stocks, like you're fucked. Because then it just turns you into like M1 and you don't even have time to stock because everyone knows it's you. It's like the element of surprise in that early game. Anyway, sorry. Woo, dead by daylight. No, that's that's great. (laughs) Anyway, sorry, do your peaches. Okay, so peach number one for me (laughs) is, it's nothing new, but it's just something I love about my daughter that one of her favorite foods is pickled beets. And this little seven-year-old just cannot get enough fucking pickled beets. She loves pickled beets. We made some together a couple days ago, and they were ready this morning. And I was like, Audrey, do you want a pickled beet? And she was like, yes! And she <laughs> runs over and just starts pounding these pickled I Like, beets are great. I feel like they're a food that, when I was growing up, was kind of maligned. But they're sweet and amazing. They're just such a great food. It's same with like Brussels sprouts, but like you yeah. roast those fuckers. Ooh, roasted beets. Exactly the same thing with Brussels sprouts. Like foods that when I was a kid, people were like, ew, beets and Brussels sprouts, gross. I love them. They're so great. Those crispy outer leaves, you know? It's the best. And like Brussels sprouts with Frank's Red Hot on them too are incredible, like mm. kind of buffalo sprout sort of things. Mm. Uh, love them. But yeah, this the fact that this little kid loves... Pickled beets, I think, is just so cute and fun and that she will go out of her way to, like, eat them is the best. The second thing, we have two broken trash cans that are getting fixed today. You know, our big outdoor trash cans have giant holes in them. And finally, I put in the ticket request to L.A. Sanitation, and they're supposed to come and fix them today. So that's nice. Excitement. Yeah. And my third peach is that I got two fun pieces of print media in the mail this week. So a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I talked about this contemporary classical piece by Brian Fernigho, which is called La Terre Homme, butchering the pronunciation of it means the earth is a man. And it's this very complicated, you know, interesting orchestral piece. And I bought the score for it. Oh, cool. And it's the kind of thing where it's a big book and then you open it up and the pages have to fold out. Because he's written like for like 12 violins and in the string section, every violin has a different crazy part. And then 12 more violins and 12, whatever. Everyone's doing something incomprehensible all the time. Send pics of this. I will. It is the wildest thing you can imagine. And it's so small and dense that it's hard to really even read a bunch of it, even when it's this like, you know, three foot long piece of paper. And the other print thing I got was my favorite radio slash podcast host, comedian, et cetera. Tom Sharpling wrote a book called It Never Ends. And I got a copy. It shipped a little early. So I got a copy of Tom Sharpling's book and I'm going to read it very soon. He's a really influential person to me. And his show, The Best Show, is one of my favorite comedy things. And I'm excited to read his first, basically, autobiographical book. So those are my peaches. Lovely. Yeah. Meg. Yeah. So my first peach, talking about Dead by Daylight, actually, it is celebration time. It's the anniversary, which is very exciting. I did a Pyramid Head cosplay to celebrate, which was fun. And a friend of mine actually has been learning Dead by Daylight. And we've been playing together. And it has been such a wonderful refresh for me. This is a game I've been playing for five years now. And... It's been so, so exciting to watch her get so excited about the game and help teach her things and see her discover different things. It's definitely breathed new life into the game for me. So yeah, that has been a wonderful experience. 
My second peach is <laughs> I've been rediscovering things from my childhood that I enjoyed as a kid. And now that I have adult money, I can re-enjoy. Mm-hmm. I, I used to love these things when I was a kid. They were books. The series was called Dear America. And they were like little diaries that were like supposedly written in different historical times. So there was one that's like a girl's diary on the Oregon Trail. And it was like a fun way to teach kids about like, what was it like to be on the Oregon Trail? And you learned actual facts, even though the diary itself is not real. And I loved those. And our library had like four of them and I would read them all the time. And I actually have one, the Oregon Trail one, because it's the one off the top of my head. And I found recently on eBay, somebody was selling the full 36 book set of Dear America books. And I bought them. (laughs) Hell yeah. I am reading these books that are meant for like 10 year olds, but they're wonderful. It's such a nostalgic, fun little like light thing. I'm reading the one right now that's from the Salem Witch Trials. That's cool. It's really fun. They hold up. Yes, they're ridiculous, but it's honestly such a good little break for my brain to just like zone in on this little piece of content and just feel those nostalgic feels. Yeah, it's been really, really fun. I really like that. And my last peach is I was talking about that prop store auction that was going on. And speaking of Hook, I actually bought hand-drawn colored style guides by John Bell of Captain Hook that were done for the movie. So they were the original um, style guides that they drew of his like red outfit and Uh approved all the costumes sketches on. And I actually got my hands on those, which is very cool. That's so cool. Wow, that rules. Yeah, such a neat like piece of film history to be able to hold on to. That's wild. I love it. Layton. My first peach is that Animal Crossing has become fun again for me, like 560 Ooh. hours in. I think it's like solely by virtue of... Did you say 560? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not judging. I'm just clarifying. I think it's probably more than that by now because I've played a lot in the past week. But now that we're going back out into the world and it's not just like, welcome back to your island prison, <laughs> that it's like, okay, this is a nice little retreat and I've been redoing my entire island and it actually looks tight now. And... You know what? I couldn't think of other peaches, so this is going to be my second peach. They did a Sanrio Amiibo collab that unlocked all this cute furniture, and so I got some of those cards, and they're coming tomorrow. Oh, nice. Oh, that's cool. But not only am I excited for the furniture, the meta of this game of trading on Nookazon, which is the Animal Crossing black market, uh, I am about to make so many fucking bells off of this Sanrio furniture. Congratulations. Ah, yes. Very excited. Is there an Animal Crossing dark web? <laughs> I mean, it would be a dot turnip. Yeah. And then my third one is I've been really enjoying peanut M&Ms lately. I've been eating a lot of peanut M&Ms. <laughs> That's a solid peach. Hey. Yeah. They're great. They're really good. I should probably eat fewer of them. I just rediscovered Reese's Pieces like a week ago. So good. I have that feel where I was like, these are delicious. Yes. Have you had the Hershey's that has Reese's Pieces in them? Because I have one of those and they're really, really good. Okay, so I'm about to say something that you might want to kick me off, which is fine since the end. I don't actually like chocolate much. So Totally acceptable. I'm pretty much with you. Yeah, I don't really eat chocolate. So when I eat candy, it's like gummies or sour stuff. So Reese's Pieces are great because it's just barely chocolate. So that's why I haven't had the Hershey's with Reese's Pieces in it. It's pretty good. Regular Hershey's chocolate sucks, but it makes it like nice and crunchy because there's like a very high density of them in there. Also, since you like gummy candy, have you had the Nerds gummy clusters yet? 
I haven't. I usually don't like gummy candy that has anything hard with it. So like Nerds Rope, out for me. So it's like a smaller version of Nerds Rope, but they've really improved it by making the Nerds smaller and the gummy like chewier. So it's not like that aggressive like crunch, crunch, crunch. crunch. It's, (laughs) It's just like a little like Nerd breadcrumb. Oh, okay. We tried those on Audrey and she couldn't handle it. She said they were too sweet. Yeah. They're the kind of thing where even talking about them just makes my saliva and start shooting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, Audrey, she's a little kid. She loves sweet stuff. Yeah. Couldn't handle the nerds clusters. Too much for a seven-year-old. Uh, yeah. We put them in our lunch and she was like, please don't give these to me. <laughs> I will not not eat them. So please, <laughs> I'm going to need the onus to be on you. Yes, Exactly. Too sweet for a sweet little seven-year-old, just sweet enough for a terribly stoned 23-year-old at 3 a.m., you know? (laughs) (laughs) But those are my peaches, and that brings us to the end of the show. Yeah. Meg, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this is a delight. Where can people find you online? Is there anything specific you want to plug? Oh, just Meg Turney everywhere. That's me. You'll find me. Great. All right, everyone listening at home. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, I'm really trying to work this new catchphrase into things because our current catchphrase sucks shit. I hate having to say it every time because it's fucking humiliating. Are you changing it? No, I'm not changing it. I'm just adding another one in the hopes that it'll eventually subsume the terrible one that we made shirts out of. (laughs) Oh, and it'll dilute the old one. I see. Sure. But I hope everyone's uh, vibing, thriving, and surviving. And as always, stay safe and come hard. That's the end of the podcast. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonNight at gmail.com. 